Hello, all you bike people, and welcome to the 40th episode of the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. If this is your first visit, then welcome. I am glad you're here. I'd encourage you to scroll back through past episodes. It's been a super fun three quarters of a year, and we've had a lot of incredible and interesting people on, and we plan to keep it going week after week. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and I just had the privilege of talking with six-time national mountain bike champion and top 10 World Cup finisher, Sevilla Blunk, who is also the 2022 Schwamigan 40 muddiest champion. I love Schwamigan and was super excited she agreed to come on the show when we talked after the podium presentation after the wet and muddy race. I know, I know, I know. Last week, I said I didn't want to do all my shows via Zoom, and here I am only one week later posting a Zoom call. And while the technology is never perfect, it is a great way to shrink the distance between us and have a conversation. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Sevilla Blunk, a professional mountain biker, in her first year riding at the Elite World Cup level. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Sevilla, Sevilla Blanc. I don't even know how to introduce you. You have so many Palmares, but uh, uh, 2022 National Cross Country XCO champ, 2021 short track champ. Like, I don't even know where to begin with your Palmares. Schwamigan champ, snowshoe, World Cup, mountain biker. I don't know. Where do we even begin? How do you introduce yourself? <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Super excited we can make this work. And yeah, we, we connected after the race at Schwamigan and great to have a conversation with you now. I laugh about how we kind of met and heavy air quotes on kind of met. I went up to um, Rose Grant who uh, finished right behind you at Schwamigan. We'll talk about Schwamigan in a minute. Um, she wasn't right behind you, but she did finish second. Anyway, I went up to Rose after the race and gave her a big hug, and we were talking about the race, and you were just kind of standing there, and I hate to admit, but I was like, I didn't quite recognize you at that moment, and uh, <laughs> it was Rose's first Schwamigan, and I've done it for a long, long time, and I was like, man, Rose, that was like the hardest Schwamigan I've ever done since, like, I've been coming since 1999, and blah, blah, blah. And that was definitely the wettest, hardest Schwamigan I've ever done. And you were kind of just standing there listening and like kind of cocked your head and you're like, really? That was the hardest? I was like, dude, that was like brutal. And then when I came home, I was like, call. Like Rose was six, or not Rose, Sevilla was six months old when I did my first Schwamigan. And I'm like, that's so funny. It was probably some kind of time warp for you listening to some old dude talk about a race that happened the year you were born. <laughs> yeah, gosh, it is so cool to go to those longstanding races and just hear all the stories from them. Yeah, for me, it was my first Schwamigan too. So I had no idea what to expect. I, I definitely don't think I expected the rain and mud that, that we saw, but it was super fun to be a part of it. It it was. It was a year that will be talked about for a long time, for sure. Uh, but And I do want to talk about Schwamm again. I want to talk about your Schwamm again because you uh, took home the victory. I brought my medal third place. Can you even hold yours up? Yours is so big. That's nice. an awesome 
it's an awesome trophy that you guys get to take home. Um, but you're reigning uh, cross-country Olympic national champ, and I've got pages of stuff here. I mean, we probably have four hours of questions here, but I won't keep you that long, I promise. This year's national champ at Winter Park, that had to be exciting. I know you've worn that national championship jersey before. How many times have you won some type of national championship? Uh, yeah, this summer it was my sixth national championship, uh, including one collegiate short track uh, national champ in 2017, I want to say, 2018. Uh, but yeah, no, gosh, racing at Winter Park is just different uh, because you're up there at 9,000 feet. So the race is, is uh, yeah, you really have to focus on pacing yourself and fueling yourself really unlike any other XC race. Um, the lap is super long, which is unique. Usually the uh, cross country World Cups we're doing, the track is like an 11 minute lap or so. But at Nationals in Winter Park, it's like, I think it's about a 20 minute lap. Um, but yeah, that was the third year in a row that we we were up there. So yeah, kind of, I guess I, I kind of, had some experience with the, like preparing for that kind of a race at altitude and and racing it um but yeah gosh my first year elite so it was a it was a really stacked field kate was there uh gwen kelsey like pretty much everyone showed up um and gosh yeah i mean it was a big focus for me uh nationals so we were we were really kind of focused on it as as one of the big goals of the year and uh yeah, gosh, it's 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 hard to to think back on it. It seems like a long time ago now, but no, it, it was a really exciting race. Kind of started battling out with Kate for the first couple laps, and then I just kind of uh, took the lead and and made a little separation, and then uh, yeah, came away with the win. So it was yeah, huge honor to wear the the stars and stripes. I think this one is definitely feels more special than any other one, just because it's uh, the elite title, and I get to race it for the next year at the world cup so yeah i'm super excited for for more more so for what's to come in it um so yeah i think yeah it'll be it'll be a good year you know i'm curious i don't know i want to talk about so much because um mountain biking is so diverse which is super cool um but uh winter park is high altitude relatively speaking and i'm looking at your schedule beforehand and it doesn't look like you we're at altitude a lot. How do you even get ready for a race that is at 9,000 feet? Yeah, well, I actually, uh, because it was a big focus of the year, I spent about five weeks, I think, preparing for the race at uh, altitude in Durango, Colorado. So, uh, yeah, so I had some time to really adjust to altitude and, uh, I had a world cup earlier in the summer that was also, at high altitude. So they kind of, kind of overlapped in that way. Um, but for me, like a race at 9,000 feet, it's not just altitude, it's, it's super high. Uh, and so it's really, it's almost impossible to acclimate to that, to that level. I think in Durango, I'm at 6,500 feet. Uh, so I get pretty adjusted to that, but then going up to winter park, it's still like such a shock and, uh, doing yeah, any kind of workout or even races is, is really, a different kind of pain kind of uh you really have to to keep yourself to measure your effort um but i think that 
I think that I've had some experience racing at altitude and especially at Winter Park. Like I said, it was the third year we'd been there. Uh, so I think that, that that did help me in that kind of a race, just kind of knowing like what it feels like to push yourself at that elevation without that much oxygen um, and really how to measure your effort and not go too deep into the red zone. But I think also for me, things like hydrating and fueling and just really staying on top of those things from the moment you get to altitude, not just during the race, uh, just from day one, you know, and beforehand is really, really important. Yeah, that's interesting. I've done Leadville a, um exact handful of number of times. And, you know, I come from, I don't, you may not know, uh, I live in Iowa, Des Moines, Iowa, elevation 836 feet, which is very different than Leadville. And I don't have trouble the day of the race. Like the challenge for me is like sleeping or going upstairs, which sounds funny, but uh, it's kind of the short little efforts. And Leadville does not, for me, does not have short little efforts. And I always tell people when I'm asked, you know, here in the Midwest, like, oh, how do you even do Leadville? And I'm like, we just show up and go. And the thing is that we just stay measured and stay steady and stay slow. And it's not a 5K. Well, when you're doing short track, that's like doing a 5K. Short track's like doing an 800 on the track. Uh, XEO is like, I mean, you're pegged that whole time. How do you manage that? Is your, is your, like, is everybody's level down a notch because it's at 9,000 feet? And so you're just the best one at that level? Yeah, I would say that everyone's level is down a little bit. Um, I mean, when I'm racing, I, I just physically, I cannot get my heart rate to, you know, the highest peak that I would see at a lower elevation. So right there, like, you, you can tell that you just can't push yourself to the same extreme as you can at, uh, at sea level. I mean, you still are going all out. It feels just as hard, if not harder, because you, you don't have oxygen to recover. But, but yeah, just as far as like, uh, I think everyone is suppressed a little bit. And I mean, first of all, that's great that you don't notice anything on race day. <laughs> well, notice anything, maybe you do a little bit, well, but I definitely think, or I agree with you that like the, the days leading up, that's when it's a challenge because your sleep is, is suppressed. Uh, sometimes you don't, you need to be eating more when you're at altitude, but sometimes like your hunger, your appetite is, is suppressed a little bit. So yeah, that can be honestly the biggest challenge. Um, and then as far as when the race, when the race starts, like it's, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think I, I approach it in the same way as any other race, but you definitely have to, like, you can't go too deep into the red zone on the first lap, you know, you really have to be a lot more conscious, I guess, of your effort than in a race at sea level when you're just going full gas as, as fast or as hard as you can go from the gun. And you, you're not even thinking about pacing yourself, you know, but at altitude, you definitely have to think about pacing, think about not going quite so deep and just like, kind of dancing on that line yeah i'd like how you said that for sure and that's probably what it is and you just hope that everybody else's dance is equal to or even a little bit less than yours right <laughs> in order to bring the stars and stripes home anyway yeah so i want to go back to you as a human being um there's something cool that i want to talk about kind of closing with but um you grew up in Iverness, 
California, freaking Marin County, the, you know, I feel like in cycling, there are like Holy Grails, you know, maybe Alp Duez and Mont Ventoux and uh, the Arenberg Forest and uh, the Koppenberg. And in the U.S., it's freaking Mount Tam. Um, you grew up in Iverness in, in uh, Marin County. Was that part of your life? The trails around uh, Mount Tam and and uh, the other stuff around Marin County. Yeah, so I yeah I grew up in Inverness. Um, it's actually it's part of Marin County, but it's very west West Marin. So it's pretty rural. You're about an hour fifteen or so from Mount Tam, uh, about two hours north of San Francisco. And yeah, super small town. I. I honestly, like, we have kind of, it's kind of a, our own community out there. So I, I went to school, like, closer to Mount Tam, or to high school. But, yeah, I really grew up riding a lot out in, in West Marin. Um, you know, just being outdoors, doing stuff, climbing trees, hiking, sailing, being outdoors in that way was just a big part of my childhood. Uh, I have two older brothers, and my family was just, uh, yeah, really, really into the outdoors. And then... My two older brothers got into to riding, um, kind of sparked by my dad. Uh, he was always kind of one of the early shredders on a on a clunker bike, uh, just kind of messing around. So we all got into biking, and I guess I was my uh, yeah my competitiveness was definitely fueled by having two older brothers to chase around on bikes. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I got into to riding and then one of them one of my older brothers started to race uh the nike league and then i kind of realized like wow you can actually race and you'd be even more competitive like who knew so that's how i kind of uh i kind of followed him and started to race nike too when i was in high school um and then he he eventually stopped racing but i continued and uh yeah really got my start in racing in in the nike league so we had we were yeah fortunate to have a really really uh, strong Nike league in, in NorCal. And it actually was so big, it had to be split into two conferences. So yeah, it was a really, really strong, healthy group. Well, it uh, helped propel you to the top for sure. Um, probably a little different than the, uh, the racing here in the Midwest. In fact, we're trying to get some high school racing going and it's a challenge, but I feel like it is, um, I mean, so many people come through NICA having learned it in high school and having it been part of their um, kind of formative years rather than coming here after running or after triathlon or, or whatever, which a lot of people do as well. I, I don't know what um, what about NICA is awesome. Like what, what makes it work? Yeah, I think for me, what was so great, and for a lot of other other girls on on my team, I went to an all girls high school, so we actually had the the first all girls high school mountain bike team in the nation at the time. Uh, it was a pretty small team, but yeah, I think that for me, like racing just frequently, getting that just every other weekend race experience, uh, low low stress. I mean, I'm competitive, so <laughs> it was a big deal to me, but you know, in the, in the scheme of things, just being able to practice like your, your race routine, your pre-race routine starts and just everything that, that goes into a race, being able to practice that frequently was really helpful. And I think, uh, yeah, it gave me a lot of fundamentals that I brought into my 
later career. But yeah, it was also just a great place to, to meet people and people from other teams and really kind of dip my toes into that, that like first, my first experience with the cycling community. It also kind of led you to racing in college where you went to um, Fort Lewis. As Cole would say, you chased him there. I don't know if you would agree with that, but um, uh, ended up in uh, Durango. You know, I, it's kind of interesting. I just listened to a podcast with um, the dude who's sitting second in a lifetime, Alex. You know, Alexi. he got to the... Alexi, Alexi yes, that's right. Um, mm-hmm. Graduated high school and he made a deal with his parents. He's like, hey, I think I could do this uh, cycling thing. Will you give me two years to try and not go to college? And so he went the cycling route. And then I talked to uh, Courtney McFadden and I'm like, Courtney, college or not college? And she's like, oh my gosh, like tell every kid to go to college. And so you took took the uh, collegiate route. How instrumental was that in to leading you where you are today, which is killing World Cups and national titles? Yeah, you know, when I was kind of at the end of high school, I... Uh... I didn't know what I wanted to study. Everyone around me seemed like they, they knew their pathway. They were like, I'm going to go to this school and major in this thing. And I was kind of overwhelmed by it. I was like, gosh, I don't know. You know, I have so many interests and I have to decide this right now. So I really, I really hadn't, didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I mean, I, I wanted to race bikes and I was super intrinsically motivated in that way. Um, but yeah, I actually ended up, I, I finished high school and I took a semester off uh, to just kind of work. I mean, whatever my next move was, I was going to, um, yeah, just just uh, save up money and, and try to, to commit to something that I was passionate about. Um, so I took a semester off. I went to Worlds that year in uh, Cairns, Australia, or Cairns, I'm not, maybe my pronunciation isn't perfect there, but... Yeah, that's where I, I met a big group from uh, from Durango who were on the national team racing there, and they were all going to Fort Lewis College. And I'd heard of the school, uh, but I really hadn't thought much about it. And kind of after talking to them, got me excited. I went home, and uh, I, I worked the rest of that semester. And then, long story short, I ended up kind of – I ended up going to, to Fort Lewis in the spring. So the next semester, I started there. Um and yeah, I would say that that decision was definitely a, it was kind of a, um, a pivotal move for me because I moved to this town, which was so, uh, concentrated with cyclists and pros and just so many people riding who were like, who I could learn so much from. I think every weekend we'd go somewhere we'd, if it was in the winter and, and snowing, we'd actually road trip a few hours like down to Arizona to the desert and just ride all weekend in Sedona and areas like that. Uh, there's a little race series in Arizona that we would do in the winter. And just that, that uh, being able to, to ride with people who are just better than you and push you so much, that really helped me, I think, in the first few years of my, of my uh, collegiate career. So, and then at the, in, at, in the, along with that, I was able to uh, be getting an education and go to school. So that was, that was something that was super important to me is to be able to balance racing, but also get a, get an education. Um, I didn't want to just commit fully to racing because 
you know, you're not going to be riding your bike your whole life. And um, yeah, I think the balance was really good for me. So there I was able to do both things. And yeah, I was surrounded by people who, who really pushed me and made me a better rider. So I love your statement. Oh, and by the way, I got an education. What is your degree in? Yeah, so I uh, studied business and marketing. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a little bit as well. So I want to jump to World Cups. Um, your first year as an elite, and ah, you're just fun to watch. Not just you, but, well, the women's racing for sure is fun to watch with uh, Haley and Gwendolyn and Kate and you, like, driving the train, like, if not on the front, near the front. And it's it's been super fun. Do you have a favorite race, favorite course from this year? Gosh, there's a there's a few for sure. Uh, I always love racing in Lenzerheide, Switzerland. Uh, the track is just super natural, technical, rudy. Nothing super man-made. So it's a, yeah, very super challenging track. I really like it. And um, gosh, Val de Sol is also a really good one. This year I, I had a small mechanical, but... It is, it's such a good race course. It, it just has a little bit of everything and it's so challenging. So yeah, I would say it makes a really good course and I, I love being in Italy, so. I mean, you picked two good countries right there. Um, uh, gosh, those courses are so, they look so brutal. You know, I've been racing for, um, well, longer than you've been born uh, and um, you know, I consider myself a decent mountain biker and I watch you guys like just fly through rock gardens and fly down muddy, rooty, steep trails with off camber turns in the middle of them. And then you fly off a, a gap that's five feet deep and you guys just do it with abandon. How do you get to the point where you can even like see doing that i get to the top of these root gardens and i'm like oh i kind of like living so maybe i'll hike down this one but or i got my ass off the back and rear wheel is just like fully locked and like skidding down and i'm trying to you know not end over the bars and land in the bushes 30 feet away but um what's that like like getting to the point where that stuff you just rip through it with abandon well, thank you for saying that it looks like that. You make it sound like it uh, It looks so smooth <laughs> and fearless, but uh, I would you guess I would say... You guys do make a, it look smooth. <laughs> I would say a little adrenaline definitely helps. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've always loved the technical aspect of riding and being able to race courses where it's so, it's such a big part of it. Um, it's, it's super challenging. And I mean, I will, I will say like, you know, when you're pre-riding and, um, the days leading before the race, when you're just kind of getting to know the track and preparing, like it's, there's definitely some fear. Like you, you get to one of those features and you're like, damn, I have to really think about this before I ride it. <laughs> um, and that's, I guess in the race you, you hope, or you, the goal is to get to a point where you have confidence on it before the race. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's honestly, it's been a really cool feeling to, to get to race at the front, uh, just with those riders that I've looked up to for, 
for my whole career and and uh yeah just be able to you know be following each other down these descents and uh you're really learn or i i really feel like i learn so much from every one of those races where i'm able to race at the front with such experienced riders um just kind of getting to know the way they race the way i respond to them so yeah it's it's always a, a big learning experience leaving any one of those races I'm sure it is. And I'm glad to hear you say that like some of these spots give you pause when you first come up on them. Do you session spots? Yeah, for sure. Uh, especially, I mean, most of the race courses I've, I've raced this year, I've, uh, I've raced them before, so I wasn't seeing them for the first time, but like world championships in, in Leger, France, I hadn't raced there before. So different courses, like, and sometimes they'll add features and change some stuff up. So definitely definitely session stuff and spend a, a, a good few like really slow laps just kind of looking around looking at things so i want to dive into snowshoe because it was awesome again that's like i said about schwam again it's one that'll be talked about for a long time um and i don't want to talk about the xco yet uh because i want to talk about short track and my first question on short track is holy cow that's just got to be like peg your heart rate at 200 and close your eyes and pedal like hell. Is that what it's like? Like, how'd you find your first short track? What, what was your experience like? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, the speed is, is definitely so high. It's funny though. Like I would say that, I mean, I think that in a short track, everyone is so much more, uh, they're so much closer together. There's not so much separation. So every little move happens so fast like i'll finish a short track and i'll be like that was a blur that was literally a blur in my head i don't know what happened <laughs> we were just pinned the whole time and uh yeah that's where like experience racing short tracks can really help because i yeah snowshoe was my first world cups short track and i think i made a lot of mistakes and and things happen so fast in the race that like you can't ever if, if you make a mistake you're like you made a mistake you can't really recover from it because everything happened so quick but in the cross country i would honestly say it's the same but just an hour and a half instead like it, it's not it's not any easier so yeah um yeah racing short track at snowshoe was was really exciting i'd finally uh, been able to make it into the top 40 to race so i all year round I, or all year long before this i had uh, just kind of just been missing out on the short track and getting pretty, pretty uh, far back start call-ups uh, right. because of it. So that was a big challenge for in the XC races. But yeah, just getting to, to race short track, give it my best and then have a, a really good call-up for for cross country the, the next day was uh, really exciting for me. Yeah, you uh, finished in the top 10 in the short track, which... Um put you second line i feel like you were on the front line at uh snowshoe yeah right? it's, uh second row for 10 you were second row okay um and well, i don't know i mean maybe starts mean something but uh sixth at snowshoe that's awesome thank you yeah gosh it was it was a crazy race i mean i think uh everyone if if you saw pictures, you kind of had an idea of how it went, but it started I out. I watched it many dry. times. Yeah, it was crazy. 
it was like my Schwamigan experience, which the first half was dry as a bone and then the heavens opened up and that's kind of what you guys went through at uh, Snowshoe, wasn't it? Yeah, it, exactly. Uh, yeah, it started out, it was pretty dry. Like nobody, I don't think anyone ran uh, mud tires or many people. I think it was, people were pretty like, pretty sure that it was going to be a, a pretty dry course. And then about two laps in, it just started to utter downpour. And the course went from dry to the complete opposite in like matter of 10 minutes or so. And so, yeah, gosh, it was really like about adjusting halfway through the race and, and being like, okay, this course has changed a ton. Like these descents are now super slippery. So I think uh, it was really about like kind of being able to adjust to the changing environment um, quickly in that race. But yeah, it was, it was epic and uh, so sketchy. <laughs> Super sketchy. And I can relate to that. My wife and I do Schwamigan on tandem and um, we got, actually you and I share something at tandem um, a decisive, I, I've heard you, actually, I listened to Payson's interview with you and you talked about the sandy descent, uh, coming into the halfway mark. And that's like the heavens opened up right before that downhill. That's like a narrow sandy shoot curvy with sand at the bottom. And as we're going down, have you listened to Payson's podcast? Uh, yeah. So he, somebody asked him what a mud snake was. And he got it wrong because I was chasing mud snakes down that sand chute. It was like literally it rained so hard that all of the ruts, tire ruts in front of me were filling with water in front of me. You've seen the like the mudslides come down through the canyons. It looked like the mudslide, except it's two inches wide coming down the canyon. And my tire is literally chasing the head of a snake going down this the chute wow. where you made your decisive move. It was crazy, but my, the, here's my whole point to this is my wife leans up and she's like, all right, our goal now is finish. We do not care about time. Like my whole goal is to keep her alive for the next 20 miles and not kill her because it was just so, so wet and slippery and muddy and horrible and fun. Um, you have to keep the gas to the floor, don't you? Like, how do you maintain, like, I could be like, okay, the heavens opened up. This course is slicker than snot. I'm going to die out here if I keep it up. Like, how do you keep that competitive fire going in conditions like that? Because you did, you got sixth. You beat freaking every, you beat Haley and Gwendolyn and Kate. Kate, you came in right behind Yolanda. Like you rocked snowshoe. And it was under a monsoon conditions. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, we've had a couple races that were pretty muddy this year. And it's funny. Like, I, I, try, I just really try to embrace the mud. And, you know, it's not like, it's not, don't get me wrong. Like, I do not have utter confidence, like, flying down those descents. Like, it is sketchy for sure. But I think it's about, like, uh, just riding within yourself because in conditions like that, it's, it's like a fine line of riding uncontrolled and meeting big consequences from it. And then just, just riding within yourself and you really save a lot because you save 
<clears throat> just so many making mistakes and in those conditions one mistake can lead to frustration piled on more frustration which then just then you're just not riding fast you know uh so i think just yeah riding within myself and and being as smooth as i could like i did i was battling with yolanda for the last lap and uh yeah made made a mistake in the mud and she got away but it was just just little things like that you know i was just trying to kind of mitigate how many times i would make those kinds of mistakes um and yeah i've had some experience racing in the mud this year but it's funny like i i don't really train in it that much uh i'm training mostly in in kind of drier climates never with like that really wet slippery roots uh which is something that i kind of lack but i've always just tried to kind of uh honestly kind of try to just trick my brain into into telling myself that I can ride that stuff and I'm, I am good at it, but I, I would not say that it, it really comes naturally to me. Um, but I think that I've just, I've tried to just kind of just really try to build that confidence in my head and, and, and not, not fake confidence, but, uh, really just, yeah, try to ride within myself and, and, uh, yeah, believe that, that it's, uh, that, yeah, I can ride it. So. Well, I don't think it's fake confidence. I think at this point it's well-earned confidence. Uh, congratulations on your whole World Cup season and especially Snowshoe. It was so much fun to watch. Um, so I kind of want to dive into Schwamm again, if that's cool. Yeah, let's do uh, it. One of the things I love about the Lifetime Series is that, and I don't want to dive into the Lifetime Series, but um, I love that it combines probably the best um, competitive program, I don't know how to say that, in the United States with some of the biggest mass start events. And you're literally doing the same race as, you know, 57-year-old me on my tandem. And I think that's super cool because we can kind of share those experiences, whether it's at Unbound or all the lifetime events. Leadville, kind of the same thing. I know you didn't do Leadville, but... Um, you know, yours and my experiences were very different, especially at the start. We start out in town. You've never done that before, but you used to start in town and kind of have this rolling parade out of town, four miles down paved roads. And now you guys start like at the bottom of a freaking hill and have to climb up and go over a bridge. Talk me through the start. And I, I believe I obviously wasn't there because I was, I think I was still getting the mud out of my ears when you guys started, but, um, actually, no, I had a half hour to ride when you guys started. Um, so I was still putting mud in my ears, but, uh, uh, what was that start? Like, did the men and women start together? Is that what I understand? No. So actually the men started 30 minutes after us and, uh, oh, yeah, okay. we had our own start. It was, as you said, yeah, at the base of this kind of ankle deep grass climb so from the start it was pretty um pretty hard I mean it was not it was not like a slow rollout like some of the gravel races are um it was more more like an XC start and yeah for the first hour I want to say or 45 minutes we were in pretty pretty deep grass it was wet it wasn't muddy so we weren't we weren't really sure we didn't really know yet what what lay ahead for us uh it wasn't until that 
kind of sandy section that we talked about where it really turned to just muck. Um, but yeah, it was just a all women start. I think the men started to catch uh, some of us by the end, but I don't I don't think they caught many. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, so the first half, the twelve hundred people in front of you, it was dry, so we didn't tear the trail up for you. So yeah, that makes sense. That about uh, what we call double O is uh, is where it must have gotten muddy for you. Talk about your winning move. I, I heard you talk to uh, Payson a little bit about, you know, diving down in that sand thing and you kind of look back and, um, you know, hey, I might have something here. Yeah, yeah. So Schwamigan, it's like, for those who might not know, it's like a point to point. So uh, I think it's, yeah, it's about two. I think my win winning time was about two and a half hours or so. So it's a it's short enough to be a little more like a cross country effort, which was kind of playing to my, to my cards coming off of my world cup season. I definitely didn't have a ton of like that six hour endurance in my legs. Um, but yeah, we started and it was pretty much a group of about eight to 12 for the first hour. Uh, the course goes, it starts on grass, kind of a wide double track. Uh, the whole, the whole time it's about, it's a pretty wide, double track kind of lane and it it goes in and out of a fire road gravel fire road and then this grass kind of double track um so for the first hour we were all together kind of working together uh, a little bit on some of the fire roads and and then yeah there was a, a kind of a decisive point about 17 miles in uh where in pre-riding when it was totally dry it had been it was kind of, it, it funneled to a little bit narrower trail and uh, had this long, or not not super long, but just a kind of super deep sandy descent. And I was just thinking in, in pre-riding like, oh, you know, maybe it'll be, it's a good place to be towards the front here because, uh, and you can just kind of pick your own line on that sandy descent. But so anyway, I'd kind of been in the group uh, for the first bit of the race and then going into the uh, section at mile 17 I just went went to the front entered it first and we were still a group of about 10 uh, and entered the trees from the fire road and pretty much instantly it was just super uh, super muddy like absolute slop the first corner I think there was some chaos in the in the group and uh, people sliding around foot out flat out kind of thing like there was no wow. really control and uh, yeah, as you said, the, the the amateur racers started before us, so they had all gone through, um, and yeah, made things really exciting for us. <laughs> but yeah, I was just kind of riding my own pace, and and it 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 climbs for a little bit, and this is like just super deep mud, like three inches of just slop all the way across. So you're just zigzagging back and forth, like trying to stay on the bike, keep momentum and, and find the best line through it. But immediately like our, your drivetrain is getting, uh, yeah, just clogged up and it was messy, but anyway, yeah, I kind of just like put a little pressure on there, just kept kind of riding, trying to stay clean. Uh, and then again, like that's a point in the race where I, um, like I, I want to, you're, you're, you're kind of trying to refocus because the conditions have changed so much 
So just staying measured and, and, you know, not blowing a corner because they've changed completely. You know, these corners are now like super slippery mud. So I just tried to do that. And then that section is about, I want to say maybe 10 minutes. And I came out of that and I look back and I had like a little, a little gap, I think maybe 15 or 20 second gap to a few riders behind me. So then I came out onto a fire road and, and you're on that fire road for like a good 15, 20 minutes maybe. And I had a little gap and I was just, I hesitated a little bit because I was like, gosh, we are an hour into this race. Like I was not expecting to be out front solo this early. Like there's so much fire road and, and this is a race where drafting really it can can be beneficial and play a part. So it was a, it was a little bit intimidating to look back and see like a, a small group together. But yeah, I didn't have very long to hesitate. I was like, all right, I either trust myself and go right now uh, or I wait up and I had, I had a little gap. So I just, yeah, tucked in and stayed arrow and, and uh, yeah, just, just trusted myself and I went for it and it, it ended up paying off. I think the rest of the course just got even grosser. <laughs> it was so muddy. <laughs> so so sloppy and uh yeah there were intermittent long sections of of gravel fire road but i was able to just stay stay arrow and and just keep pushing and and it was definitely hard because i had an hour and a half to race still solo so it was really hard to stay focused for that long and and not um lose track of kind of my effort uh i had no idea how far ahead i was from the group at, at one point early on, I could I could see them sometimes, uh, but I had really no idea. So it was a little nerve wracking, but uh, yeah, I was just trying to kind of break the course up into smaller sections, like get to the, the next speed zone or get to the bottom of that climb and then refocus for the next part, you know. So breaking it up into kind of those like mental blocks um, helped me stay focused, but yeah, gosh, it was a long time to be to be solo. That is a long time. You had ridden, you knew the course, right? You had ridden it the week before well enough yeah. to like know what was coming up. Uh, kind of. I we I'd ridden it once. We broke it up. We rode the first half one day and the second half the other day. And honestly, I don't know what it is about point to point races, but it's really hard for me to visualize them in my head because. Yeah, and especially this course, like a lot of the turns just looked really similar. So honestly, starting the race, I was like, I don't remember. Like maybe there's one or two points in the race that are on the course that I was like, I, I remembered in my head. But other than that, I was like, I don't really remember the turns and I'm really not going to worry about it. But it was, uh, yeah, kind of hard to visualize this one for me. Yeah, it is very similar. In fact, there are times like i said i did it since 1999 and there's times i'm like oh i don't know where i'm at right now so uh that don't feel bad not knowing every turn <laughs> did you ride fire tower yeah i did and that was yeah that that was the the climb that i was thinking you know okay we'll probably be in still a group by by then and it'll probably break up but i got there and I was solo and it was so different than it was when I'd pre-ridden. It was, it's a really steep climb. What it probably averages like 9% or something. And, uh, 
Yeah, it was just peanut butter the whole way down. Like it was everything I could to 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 keep stay on my bike and ride it. Um, which it's funny because in pre riding I was like climbing up it, imagining like, okay, this is when you know a super powerful attack is gonna be made. Uh, but there was just no way that that was happening. Like it was it was a big struggle to just ride it. And uh, yeah, I think there was even more chaos in the men's race with some people riding, some people running, and if you bobble just a little bit, like you're off and running just like that. So. Yep, for sure. And if somebody bobbles and is off in front of you, then you're off and running. And yeah, it's just, it can be chaos. Riding it alone in the week before is so very different than race day, no matter what. But, uh, kudos for riding it. Like that was, that was a challenge this year. We're going and uh, thinking the first half of the race, like, yeah, I think we got fire tower this year. We've ridden up at once on our tandem and uh every other time we're running but um we thought ah we got it this year conditions are perfect yeah they were not perfect we did not ride i got to the bottom and i was just like nope not even trying just, i can't imagine on a ran tandem. the whole way up yeah it was it was chaos it's crazy so a half a mile from the finish there was like we're coming up to a corner and there are volunteers saying slow down slow down mud mud and i'm like dude like where have you been the past 20 miles? And we came around the corner and it was like going through a farm field that had been flooded. And then a herd of cattle had gone through. Did you hit that with, what was that like when you came through? I don't know if it like a track built in there, if it got hard enough to, to ride through. But when we went through, it was just a muddy, muddy, muddy mess. Yeah, I think so. I, I just, I remember just the last, the last section, quite a long section, was just was really muddy and super slow. And and you're in the last stretch of the race, so you're like, oh, I can do this, just like, you know, pushing as hard as you can. But I just remember my momentum was just being killed over and over again by those mud, just like mud slop puddles. So yeah, it was it was super messy out there. Well, congratulations! It was fun to watch you hoist that giant trophy and. Uh... Congratulations for um, getting through it and taking home the big uh, victory there. Thank you. Yeah, I'm saying that as if you just won the world championships, but uh, it is Schwam again. It's near to my heart, so congrats. It's Thanks. Um, so I want to go back to kind of you and who you are. Um, I saw, I saw, I, I read something about you come from many generations of artists. And I find that interesting. A, what do you mean by that? And B, how does that shape you as a cyclist? Yeah, yeah. So I grew up in Inverness, super small town. Um, my my dad is actually a, a woodworker and a wood artist and uh, also just really skilled with a lot of different things. Um, and my mom, kind of kind of similar, she she didn't grow up, grow up in, in Inverness, but kind of moved around a lot. And just very artistically um, motivated and talented. And uh, yeah, growing up, it was it was a big aspect of, of my childhood, uh, just kind of working with our hands, learning from from the environment that we grew up in. We, we had a big garden, we raised the animals and kind of uh, were very, lived pretty sustainably off of the, the land that we grew up on. And it just gave me a really, special appreciation for 
for where I grew up and, and just the environments that I am in now when I travel to different places. Um, so yeah, I, I grew up being uh, pretty artistic and then, I mean, I, I don't, uh, yeah, I guess now I kind of consider my, my sport is, uh, my kind of, uh, outlet, artistic outlet in a way. It's, uh, you know, kind of how I, I express that in me. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, went to this one semester art school, actually my senior year of high school, uh, called Oxbow. It's in Napa, California. And, uh, it was a really, really cool experience to kind of dabble in different mediums of art, but also just get to kind of explore yourself as, as a person and, and not necessarily always connect it to, to the physical uh, art, but, but really like what, what other things it can open up. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't follow that uh, super directly, but now I, I race bikes. So that's kind of my outlet. And uh yeah, I still I still really appreciate it and, and enjoy it when I get to do it. But um, yeah, it definitely is my background and, and my family's background. So, well, I appreciate how you view it with different mediums. I grew up in a family of artists and, uh, you know, I, I view my for a while. I viewed my camera as a photographer as my uh, medium for art. But there's a, a lot of ways to express your creativity and you know, I watch your YouTube channel and it just explodes with creative genius. Like, I love it. It's super fun. Um, how did that come about? The YouTube channel? Sorry, you cut out a little bit. Oh, yeah. Your YouTube channel is super fun to watch, super creative. Um, is that a, a way for you to express your creativity? Yeah. Yeah. The YouTube channel, um, my boyfriend Cole and I started, I guess, a couple years ago now. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's kind of a, a love-hate relationship. We, It's really fun for us to make videos and share like what we do in our daily life and around races and stuff, but the editing and the, the production of it is, is not something that comes naturally to us, I would say. Yeah, well, you do a great job at it. And, and when I saw that uh, you have a family of artists, I was like, ah, YouTube, that's it. That's her, that's uh, how she expresses that. I want to talk about you as a human being um, because you want to talk about you as a human being, it seems. You have on your website, and I'm just going to read it, I believe I have more to offer than being a bike racer on a bike, and I'm here to share my stories, advice, and help empower and motivate the next generation. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so I guess, uh, you know, I, I commit my life to, to chasing this career as a professional mountain bike racer but um I think right now I'm I'm in a position and I'm kind of entering a position of of uh being able to be a resource to the next generation and and that's really what what really drives me I think growing up like I I looked up to a lot of these pro racers and saw them kind of as you know my idols but I never really, I never really got to meet them or, or really talk to them. They were just, they were kind of such a, such an intimidating, like higher, like thing, you know, it was always like, well, they're super inspiring and, and I want to, um, you know, I, I want to be like them someday, but, but, uh, yeah, it was always just kind of scary to just walk up to, to them at a race and, you know, ask them all the questions I had. So yeah, my goal is to really just be like an approachable 
resource for the next generation because it's not not really something that I ever had or felt comfortable with. So um, yeah, I think just being available in any way I can is uh, something I'm really passionate about. And I mean, we're all we're all racing and racing at different levels, but uh, but yeah, we're also all human and and uh yeah it's there's really no no difference from from anyone else so hmm, i love that and uh what a good inspiration and and uh, i i commend you for that i think that's awesome i saw you're a, a mentor for little bellas and uh, i would guess that you probably make yourself available now and again yeah yeah thank you yeah yeah it's been um yeah working with them is awesome always super fun and uh yeah cole and i try to try to meet up with as many like NICA high school teams that we can whenever we're in the areas. That's something that's really nice about uh, the van is we're, we're most, most, I mean, when we're in the U S we're most of the time we're, we're living or driving around in it, traveling to races in it. Uh, so it enables us to, you know, stay an extra day after the race and, and meet up with the high school team in the area or, just do a little ride, do a little skills clinic or something. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not, not so hard for us, you know, it, it's just, uh, it, and it's something that we're, we're super passionate about and, and love doing. So any opportunity to do that is, is really exciting. That's awesome. Good for you for doing that. I commend that big time. So before we go, uh, how do people find you? Social media, YouTube, all that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, most used is my Instagram, Sevilla Blanc. And then, uh, yeah, you can follow our YouTube channel. It's Cole and Sevilla. I think if you just search that in YouTube, it, it should come up. Uh, two, two dorks doing embarrassing things on YouTube. So it shouldn't be hard to, hard to find. Um, and then, yeah, those are, those are the two really the best ways to, to find me. Dig it. Um, your YouTube is super fun and you guys are two dorks and you're very transparent and seem to have fun doing it. So I know the work that goes into making even a, a nine minute video. So, um, whew. yeah, kudos for cranking those things out. I wondered if you had help doing that, but it sounds like you'd sit down at the computer and, and edit it all out. Yeah. Yeah. Right now it's sad. completely self-produced. So yeah. Wow. Impressive. Impressive. Well, listen, thanks tons for spending time. Have fun at Big Sugar. I feel like you have three races coming up. Big Sugar, Iceman. Is there another one? That's it. Yeah, oh, wait, I, I hope. <laughs> then oh, we're call it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Um, all right. Well, uh, people can look for you at Big Sugar, Iceman, and then uh, next year, Conquering the World. So Yeah. Thanks, thanks tons so and much. tons for spending time. And yeah, you bet. I appreciate you coming on uh, Bike Talk with Dave. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I can't thank Sevilla enough for being a guest on the Bike Talk with Dave podcast while she and Cole are busy training in Washington, preparing for their final two races of the year. Be sure to check out their YouTube channel, which is called Cole and Sevilla, and also give her a follow on Instagram at Sevilla Blunk. She'll be in Bentonville, Arkansas later in October for the Big Sugar Gravel Race and at the Iceman Cometh Mountain Bike Race in Northern Michigan in November. And you heard her. Be sure to stop and say hi when you see her out at those two races or wherever you run into the mountain bike champ. 
Thanks for listening to the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. I hope you enjoyed getting to know Sevilla Blanc. I'd love it if you'd be so kind as to support the show by rating and reviewing and sharing with friends. If you'd like to support the show financially and help improve it, you can go to buymeacoffee.com and throw some love in my way. I'll use it to make the podcast better and I will send you a Bike Talk sticker made by my friends at Bike Rags Apparel. So head on over to buymeacoffee.com and look for Bike Talk with Dave. I'll put a link in the show notes. And as a reminder, as a Bike Talk with Dave listener, you are welcome to a free three-month subscription to the Adventure Plus streaming platform, a streaming service with hundreds of awesome adventure films. Just click the link in the show notes and get registered for 90 days where you can watch more than 600 films on cycling, skiing, surfing, running, mountain climbing, rock climbing, pretty much all the cool stuff. Head on over to adventureplus.com or click the link in the show notes for a free trial. That's a free 90-day trial to the Adventure Plus streaming service. I also want to thank BikeIowa.com for being the online host of Bike Talk with Dave. BikeIowa.com is where you can find all kinds of cycling news, information, and trails in Iowa and around the Midwest. It's awesome. Bike Talk with Dave is a production of Summit Media Films, an award-winning indie film company that is not afraid of snow. Check out our films at adventureplus.com with your free 90-day subscription. That would be A Thousand Miles to Nome and Down the Kuskokwim, which are our films on the Iditarod Trail, and Reach for the Stars, which is about a 100-mile run on the hilly gravel roads of south-central Iowa. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next week.